All-Ireland final in 2018. Watched it in Cook Park and I thought I was going to throw up. Like, it just, it was a horrible feeling. You wanted to win, but you just felt like, oh my God, if, if they do win, they haven't been there. Like, is it worth it being over here? Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Graham Hunter is with us. Graham, good morning to you. How are you? That's good, thanks. Uh, when Casemiro signed for Manchester United, you said, this is a decision that I think is going to cost Real Madrid the title. And here we are six months in and we can definitely wheel out the red carpet for, Bar- for Barcelona. That, that, the Liga title race is, is done, right? Toast. Uh, no. Uh, anybody who's, who's lived and breathed uh, Real Madrid, in my case, 20 years in this country, 21 years in this country, and for a long time prior to that, knows that uh, Madrid are capable of cutting back what is now an eight-point gap. Yeah, it's very different. It looks more lopsided than the title race you've just been discussing in England, which is fascinating, and it's tight, and it, as Shane said, it's definitely not over, although I'm feeling just a just a smidgen of smugness because with my sponsors two weeks ago, I said, listen, I still think City will win this title. I still do today. If It definitely wasn't over because of the result at, uh, in London last night, but... Barcelona are playing um, in in a manner which is uh, really, really feisty. It's completely different from not just the execution, but even the ideology of how Xavi, uh, the team Xavi played and wanted to behave, either in their first treble year with Guardiola or subsequently under Luis Enrique when the game uh, was was more vertical, was quicker. They had three forwards up front, uh, Suarez, Neymar, Messi. Now they always get the ball to them quickly. <laughs> compared to how Pepe's but but this team again is is very very different indeed. Lots and lots of one nils. There's absolutely nothing that suggests that Barcelona are invulnerable between now and the end of the season. Not even the only seven goals conceded so far. And Real Madrid have been have been patchy, and they have for as, for as much as Camavinga pivoted last night was is 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 a is a special footballer. Is a good athlete. He's very, very young. Chalmany at Pivotti is, again, extremely impressive physically, has got a good temperament, but neither of them are Casemiro. I don't know if you two or your uh, viewers, listeners, now agree with me. The case, my point was Casemiro is super special. There was absolutely no way Madrid were not going to notice him being absent. There was absolutely no way, this again was my point with you, that, that, that Modric and Cross aged... 33 and 38 weren't going to suffer for the lack of Casemiro and they have so uh, I think the impact has been significant title's not over yet I simply don't believe that Real Madrid are incapable of cutting the gap and therefore I believe there's a lot of excitement to come uh, between now and June and a lot of finger pointing because this is Spain well great I'm looking forward to it I think the other thing that um, I was being obviously mildly facetious saying it was over that Real Madrid had been distracted by the fact that there was a World Club Championship to take care of and we, we uh, expect the European champions to uh, to win the World Club Cup so that brings added pressure where you actually just have to go and do it I, I think um, for anybody who, who didn't watch it uh, they went to uh, Morocco. Um, they subsequently beat Al-Hilal in the final. They qualified for the final very easily. In the final, it was 5-3. Um, Al-Hilal had uh, a playing style which was wandering around and attempting to play clever football at low pace. That gave ball players in Madrid's team tons of time uh, to pick up Vinicius and Benzema and Valverde. 
They could have scored another five if they wanted to, but they conceded three world champions. The the buzz I got, and I was on television, the La Liga television before last night, um, uh, in the build-up to Real Madrid beating Elche uh, 4-0. And I said, listen, the, the buzz from Morocco is that they love being in the sunshine. It wasn't roasting hot, but it was better than winter in Madrid. It was like a mini training camp. They found the games easy, and they became world champions. I know you didn't say it, Ger, but I know that um, in Britain and Ireland growing up, this idea about becoming world club champions has never been given a, a huge value. But I, I always felt a little bit differently, and I beg you to listen to the idea that a player like um, Benzema or Vinicius or Modric or Asensio or Ceballos puts a medal around the neck which says you're world champion. You get a badge on your shirt from now for a year that says you're champion of the world as a club. For for a guy like Benzema, who felt treated like flotsam and jetsam by Deschamps and the French Federation in Qatar and didn't go back when he was fit to play in the World Cup final. For a guy like Camavinga, who did play in the World Cup final and lost it, the, the, the fact you can say I'm a world champion, it, 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 if, if viewers want to say, I don't value it that much, that's fine. It's a personal opinion. I can assure you that the players absolutely do value it above the Champions League. Seamus talking about dynasty teams. No, but you're world champion. You lift the trophy. It really counted. And therefore, they've come back. Uh, it's been like an injection of vitamin D. It's been, it's been really important to them. They enjoyed being away from the, the furore that surrounded Mallorca following them 29 times, Vinicius being abused racially game after game. All that fuss. They were uh, put it on a shelf go off to Morocco, beat two teams easily, come back with a trophy and a medal and say, yeah, okay, this is a boost towards cutting back the lead on Barcelona, winning the cup. It's it's where it's a classical semi-final. I, I said it last night, I said it again. They should be playing, maybe I'm so, maybe people don't remember the theme to Jaws. Oh, yeah. But that, <laughs> that double bass, creeping menace of somebody swimming and there's something, it's, it's coming that, Play, play the Jaws theme over Real Madrid's games for the rest of the season because that's what it needs. That's uh, given the Liverpool fans this morning just a shiver down their spine going, I thought, I, I thought it was all was well in the world again and then Graham starts to wheel out the Jaws. Okay, oh, great. Terrifying. One, one distraction that isn't going away and I don't know if it's just because it gets asked in a press conference and, and then it becomes news is the Brazil job and Carlo Ancelotti and he's like, Typical phlegmatic Carlo. Eh, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. It's not, you know, it's not like no way. It's like, oh, could be interesting. Could be interesting. What's going on? Yeah, they they want him. Um, I don't think there's any question about that at all. They tried very hard for Pep Guardiola uh, just around the time that Tichy was was being removed. Um, They thought they had Guardiola. Um, It didn't work out, but they genuinely thought they had. Ronaldo Nazario was hopping from foot to foot in the days after Tichy left, saying, we've got a coach who's coming who's football I love, and then it didn't happen. Um, You can wholly understand that if they're going foreign, for what I think is the first time, Carlo Ancelotti's ability to handle um, important players brilliantly is one of the things that you need if you're a Brazil coach. You usually need a Brazilian passport. I think. I think there's a difficulty. The fact that some of them, were he to take over, are players that he knows and and who, who love and respect him, could make a difference. He has a contract. One of the things he keeps saying is, "I have a contract till 2024. I want to see it out." The difference is Brazil are waiting. Um, it's what would you two say? Is it the, is it the plum job in in 
international football? Maybe. Um, is it one where if you take over and you, you value your own qualities as a communicator, a manager and a coach, you think you could win the Copa America, take it back off Messi's Argentina, go to the States and Canada and Mexico and win the World Cup? I, I think if you're a self-respecting coach, you think yes. I think it's a plum job. With no mind pressure or difficulties, it's a plum job. Why is it not being filled? Um, I don't think he's alone on the list. I think Luis Enrique is a candidate. I'm not well enough versed to say about Brazilian club football. There's an obvious, there's a muster point there. But the CBF don't think there is a muster point. Um, if you're saying, Gerard, which you hinted at, that you think it, it might take Ancelotti's eye off the ball, I'd like to uh, respond with a certain firmness <laughs> and, and say no. Uh, but at, at Madrid, although he's got a contract until the end of next season, if, for example, your proposition is right that La Liga is over and Real Madrid don't close an eight-point gap and lose it by a big margin, fail to defend it and go out to Liverpool, I don't think Ancelotti's contract will be fulfilled. So is that why the CBF are jockeying? Are they waiting to see what whether the bus want to do them a favour? Don't know. And you talked about distractions. There's something that's more than a distraction because this morning's Madrid papers have the front page, and in Marcus' case, six or seven pages dedicated to the revelation from the tax authorities that they have, by investigation, uncovered um, a, a firm which is run by an ex-referee and his son who've been paid um, about 1.5 million euros during 2016, 17, and uh, to give Barcelona advice on referees. Oof. And uh, that's all fine because Madrid in 2009 publicly hired an ex-referee, um, Megia Davila, and, and said he's there to, to make sure the players know the law and to have good relationships with the referees. And they put him, they put him on the staff. They put him um, in, in a very high position there, but he was an ex-referee. The really big difficulty here is that Negreira, the man whose company this is, that they've been... Uh, uncovered as having paid 1.5 million euros to was a vice president of the committee of referees. The committee of referees is saying, well, he had absolutely no voice in the appointment of referees and his position was ceremonial. Oh, gee whiz. Then what's being asked, I think, by those journalists who are not rabid, because um, the, the two Catalan papers guys gave this about 300 words each. The two Madrid papers splashed it front page. <laughs> The, the allegations at the moment is that these these payments were discovered during an investigation and hadn't been declared for tax. So I can't prove that. I can report the allegations. And therefore, it looks like an overripe barrels, barrel of fish. It stinks. The, the crazy thing, Graham, when you, when you say that is, uh, and for football fans generally, I think this is the worrying thing, that's a huge story. And yet, none of us are shocked Um the same with the Qataris coming in to potentially buy Manchester United. And the story I wanted to ask you about as well, the Manchester City financial allegations. I mean, there's so much, there's so many dark clouds over football at the moment that these stories almost just water off a duck's back for football fans. Yeah, Shane, even, even how you've said it is 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 chilling. Um, I, I would add that I don't believe that football fans or journalists believe that every uh, body which is there to either assess, check, 
uh, investigate or punish is necessarily powerful enough or willful enough to make sure that the laws are are absolutely adhered to. I, I don't believe it's this. I, I like the way you've drawn a comparison because I think that um, it's it's that expression about you know when you're in a certain position, you don't need simply to be honest. You need to be seen to be honest. It needs to be patently clear rather than saying, don't worry, everything's fine, we're doing it. It needs to be patently clear. And in certain instances, it's not patently clear. And in the in the case of City, um, you didn't bend away from this, but I think in every case, decent reporters must presume innocent until proven guilty. However, now, and I speak for myself, I'm not, I have not dedicated the last 20 years to investigative reporting of, of a financial kind. And there are some who, in our uh, trade, who have become exceptional. Difficult and dangerous uh, times filled with suspicion do sometimes breed exceptional men and women who dedicate themselves to unraveling these things. I would say that it, you put your your voices in the, the, the man or woman of the people who, who who's a football fan or who's, a, who's passionate about football and wants to believe it's become so complex, particularly in the case of City, so complex that I would challenge many people to actually properly understand it and be able to follow with certainty uh, the reporting of how the breaches are, where the where the money that comes into Manchester City does or doesn't come from, whether they have or haven't breached FFP. There'll finally be a report. It'll be handled by experts. But I go back to your point about whether there is currently a total belief that there is the ability and then the will to prosecute anybody of a massive club or a, a massive football uh, governing body that has committed some sort of infraction. Uh, that's that there are everybody Brian Glanville, the Sunday Times journalist, made his fame in the sixties by being an English based journalist who, in, who investigated and proved uh, corruption in Italian football in the 60s. Prior to that, I, I wouldn't have knowledge. But back in the, in the decade when I was born, there was corruption, there was malpractice, and there were determined attempts by journalists to, to unravel it. From that day until this, saying, I don't think there's any one of us who thinks that malpractice and cheating uh, went away. What I would contend my opinion, you asked me, is one, I think it's become increasingly difficult to understand it and prove it. And I think there is a, a broad feeling that there may not be either the will or the power from governing bodies to say, we will take you on. Once we've proven it, we will impose all the sanctions within our power. And I think that's almost as insidious as the point you made. Yeah, no, it totally is because um, it, it frames the terms of reference for everybody and then, sure, look, we know what happens when uh, opportunity presents itself. I want to come away from that for a moment because, you know, notwithstanding uh, all of that backdrop, the football this evening at Camp Nou, 5.45 our time, it's Barcelona against Manchester United. It's a storied fixture. Um, I see uh, the younger Cruyff in all the papers today talking about his time at both clubs and how going to Manchester United was a release and a relief for him. Um, so, like, I'm really looking forward to this, particularly because Ten Hag has brought something to Manchester United which is, like, 
kind of joyous. A little bit of structure has released the joy from so many of his players. Um, and if if uh, there's a spikiness tonight to Barcelona, then we this is actually setting up quite nicely. So it's just a smashing tie, and it's typical of football that it can broadly it can shoot itself in the foot. And Manchester United against Barcelona is the is the last thing we talk about because while it's not the Champions League, it's a Champions League worth worthy tie. Um, both sides are extremely interesting. Both sides are on the up. Um, United's playing style is now recognisable under Ten Hag to what many United fans would want them to be playing. Like you know, incomplete yet, I'm missing a really important player in Eriksen. McTominay might have started. Uh, Barcelona's style is not so recognisable. It's extremely vertical. They're kicking the ball long domestically for five foot eight Gabby to challenge aerially for the ball against Raul Albiol or against Militao. It, it, it's phenomenal. Yet this five foot eight, 19 year old is in the top 10 midfielders for winning aerial challenges in La Liga. And in La Liga would have 120, 130 regular midfield midfielders across all the teams each week. And and little 19-year-old five foot eight Gavi, isn't it? So if Barcelona and you both remember, um Shane, I didn't know you at the time, but I know you were following football. Joe, I was talking to you when Guardiola's side was not only conquering Europe but wooing the world, seducing the world in its football. If a goalkeeper, Victor Valdez, had kicked the ball from a bike kick, a place kick long, he'd have been sacked. <laughs> Ter, Ter Stegen is now, against uh, domestic rivals, lumping the ball long for Barcelona to, to compete for and then pounce on in a brilliant way to win second or third balls in the midfield. It's it's genuine and it's working. Now, against Manchester United, one of the, the fascinating points for me tactically is after they beat Villarreal um, in the Madrigal on the weekend, 1-0, clinging on a little bit, Xavi said to our reporter in English, yeah, listen, we're, we're at the best moment since I took over, which was November the previous year. Um, we're almost perfect in defence and intensity and pressing, which is true. Now we have to change our mindset. So wait, 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 wait. So he said, we're perfect in this, we're in the best moment, we have to change our mindset for United in the Europa League. He's not explained yet what he meant by that, but I take it that it probably means that their tactics should be to try and use the ball a little bit more in the old Xavi style, which is not how he's coaching his team at the moment. And it's working. I'm not being critical. It's just, it's remarkable to watch. Ten Hag is giving United a little bit what they used to have. Ten Hag is giving United what what they bought him from Ajax to bring. It all fits. It dovetails. It seems natural. Xavi is doing something really quite remarkable at the moment and we've got a tie like you said of all the echoes of United in 99 at the camp now without Barcelona but having come through that group that had Barcelona and Xavi's debut at Old Trafford in the 3-3 and then starting in the 3-3 at camp now there's echoes of that there's echoes of 2009 2011 the 4-0 that Barcelona imposed Romario's Barcelona imposed it's all there but United could win both games it's perfectly feasible you know they could yeah, we're looking forward to it. Graham, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. You've suitably whet the appetite. <laughs> Cheers. Enjoy it. Cheers, lad. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.